Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our podcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. We'll get there here in just a few moments. First time I ever preached this particular passage, and it is a passage that I very much love and appreciate because of the way that I had to get into it. I was a youth minister in McMinnville, Tennessee. Uh, this was 10 years ago now. And I got a call from the director of our week of camp at Short Mountain Bible Camp. And he said, I've got two spots left that I need someone to speak in the evening uh, devotion kind of worship period. He goes, I need... And I said, okay. And he said... I've got a passage from Luke chapter 16, and then he gave me the the, the, the chapter, I can't remember, but it was a, a passage from the book of Revelation. And he goes, I need you to pick one. I said, well, can, can, can I call you back here in about 30 minutes? Uh, give me some time to look at the passages. He was, he was real short with me. He goes, no, I need to know right now. And I'm thinking, camp, Luke, Revelations. This is an easy one, right? Luke. I go, I'll take the Luke 16 passage. He goes, okay, I'll put you down for Wednesday night, Luke 16. Open up to Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19, and I realize I had picked a passage on hell to teach to a bunch of kids at camp. But you know what? This particular passage has taught me so much. This particular passage is, is, is the passage that made me decide that God wants me to be a preacher and not be a youth minister. And I'm so glad for the opportunity and every opportunity I get to come to this text and share some thoughts from it. I get very excited because in, in our church culture, we talk a lot about heaven, don't we? And understandably so. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it here in a minute, but understandably so. That is where we're striving to get to, right? So obviously, we want to talk a lot about that. But one of the things that most of us, I'm going to say, let me back that up. All of us, I would hope, our plans for eternity do not include hell. If they do this morning, I hope that some thoughts that we're going to share with you will change your mind and your direction of your eternal life. But it is it is a topic and a place that is real and, and something that in Scripture we do need to spend time with and understand the fullness of the Lord's teaching. So before we get into our text this morning, let's go to God in prayer. Thank you, God, so much for the opportunity to just gather with our brothers and sisters this morning to have the chance to sing songs of praises, to lift those up into the presence of your throne room, to take the opportunity to encourage each other with those songs and those hymns, God. We thank you for the chance to spiritually fellowship around the memorial feast that we call the Lord's Supper that reminds us, that takes us back to the foot of the cross and reminds us that your Son was and is perfect and that in Him we can put our hope, we can put our trust. In Him we find our salvation, not just because of His death, God, but more powerfully because of His resurrection. Help us to be resurrection Christians that put our focus and our hope in that action of Your Son. God, this morning as we talk about eternity... I pray, God, that you open our hearts, 
that you open our minds, that you allow your spirit to move within us and convict us in ways that not only make us feel certain things, but allow those feelings to lead us to change God. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's read our text together. And then we'll make some observations. This morning, I don't like to disappoint my children. This morning, Collins, I've got so many, I don't even remember their names now. Britton goes, are you preaching? I go, yes, ma'am, I am. She goes, you preach for a long time, please. And I don't want to disappoint her, but I also know we have lunch prepared. And I don't like to preach a long time when we have lunch prepared. So we'll see what happens. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where there was, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received the good things while Lazarus received the bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, said Lazarus, Send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So let's break our passage down. Let's talk about a few things together. We'll start back at the very beginning. There was a rich man, and he says that he was dressed in purple. And he, he he's setting up this, this image of, of a man of great, great wealth and, and great prestige. A man that no matter what he did in life, he was always used to getting his way about things. A man that he probably had a lot of friends, if you know what I mean. When you have things... With things comes along a lot of friends. Maybe not real friends and true friends, but people that want to be your friend. And he had everything that his heart could desire. Let me ask you, how many things can your heart desire? Have you ever just said, I, I do this from time to time because I have bad attention deficit disorder and my mind likes to wander and it wanders in this direction. How many of you have, how many of you in your mind have won the lottery 15 times over and have spent that money until there's no money left to spend. Is it just me? I see some of you nodding and grinning, so I'm going to assume that you have done that. You have, you have dreamt in your heart and mind of what would I do if I ever spend, if I ever get that much money. This guy didn't have to live the, live a, a, a dream. Well, maybe the other way to say it is he was living the dream. 
He wasn't just thinking about him and wishing for him. Everything he ever wanted, he could have. Sounds like a good life, doesn't it? And then he, he shifts his focus to this man named Lazarus who, who sat by his gate, who sat by his, his front door, if you will, and sat there and begged, sat there and begged for anything that anybody could offer. Now, from the outside looking in, from the outside looking in, from a, a worldly view looking at this, if you had to pick one of the two guys to live their life, who would it be? If all you knew, if all you knew was, I can be a rich man or I can be a beggar with sores covering me, which life would you choose to live? I don't know many of you that would choose the life of Lazarus. But you see, that's the great thing about God. God says that He takes the things that, He said the things that make sense to the world are silliness to Him. And the things that He, He does, the things that is about God, the world looks at and they go, no, that doesn't make any sense. And this is one of those such moments. This is one of those such stories. Because both of them die. And when both of them die, I would imagine, I would imagine that the rich young ruler, or the rich man here rather, probably had a very elaborate funeral. A very elaborate funeral. One of my favorite things to watch. Okay, I, 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 I love history. I can't necessarily remember a lot of history. That's, that's a problem I have sometimes. But I enjoy history. And one thing, one particular part of history that I enjoy is presidential history. Now there again, I don't necessarily remember a lot of things that I read, but I enjoy presidential history. And so on, on the occasions when one of our former presidents passes, I love watching the state funerals that they have for these men. Just the pomp and circumstance that are surrounded these men who who served our country and, and that office. And when I think about this passage, and I think about the images that I've had of watching these funerals, and the dignitaries that show up, and the ambassadors that show up, and the world leaders that show up, I think about this guy. That he probably had a funeral like that. That all these acquaintances, all these contacts that he made had shown up and it was a great celebration but what does it say about when he died well what what what's the scriptural context of when he died verse 22 the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to abraham's side the rich man also died and he was buried you see, when you live your life of this world, when you live your life just worrying about how am I going to spend that dollar, just worrying about the things that this life has to offer, when your life ends, it's over. There's no more benefit. There's no more comfort. There's no more getting ahead. There's no more blessings that are coming along with your life. Rather, all we read about the, 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 the rich or the, the, about Lazarus in, in his earthly life was that he was a beggar and covered with sores, a life that none of us would ever choose. But yet on the day of his death, he is escorted by angels to the side of who? Abraham. 
Now you see the spiritual is so much more powerful than the physical. The spiritual relationship with God is so much more important than the earthly relationship that we will have with anybody or anything. Let's see what the result was of this journey that both of them took. It said that in Hades, where he was in torment, talking about the rich man, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in the fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Just leave it right there. You received your good things. His first thought in Hades or in hell, however you want to, 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 to look at that, his first thought when he was in agony was a selfish thought for who? For himself. Now this is not original to me. And it took me a while to wrap my mind around the idea. It took me a while to wrap my mind around the idea. And I didn't agree with it at first, but the longer I thought about it, the more truth came from it. That at the core of every sin is selfishness. Let that sink in for a second. At the core of every sin is selfishness. And the reason that is true is because when you decide that you're going to do something against the will of God, you are selfishly saying, what I want is more important and better than what God wants. So you're being selfish. And his first thought, as he is in suffering and anguish, his first thought is about who? Himself. I need you to send someone down here to me to take care of me. See, he's used to a life of of being taken care of. And he looks up to Abraham and he says, Abraham, hey, send Lazarus down here to take care of me. I wonder if in his thoughts that even seeing Lazarus, even though he's by the side of Abraham, he's still looking down at Lazarus as someone that is there to serve him. But what is his response? All of your good things came when? All of your comfort came from where? On this side of eternity. On this side. That's what you were focused on. You weren't focused on the good things of God then. You're not going to receive the good things of God now. Your selfishness has gotten you where you are. I think it's so important that we take a look and a view of our life and make sure that we're not living a selfish life. Because it is our selfishness, if we're not careful, that will ultimately separate us from God for all eternity. And and it may not seem like selfishness. It may not seem like I'm really just trying to do my will versus God's will. It may be some little things along the way. But sometimes we need to do a heart check and make sure that a life of selfishness is not something that we're living. So he's focused on himself. But let's keep reading because his focus, his focus is going to change. And that's the powerful point of our message this morning. Let's pick back up in verse 24. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus. No, I'm sorry. Verse 25. 
you, you had these things in your life. Uh, we'll get there in just a second. Verse 26. And besides all this, between us is this great chasm set in place where you can't cross over. Verse 27. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my what? To my family. Send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers and sisters. Let him be warned so they will not also come to this place of torment. Now here is the powerful part of this lesson. Here is the powerful part of this passage. That this man in hell, who had had everything he ever wanted in life, got everything that he ever desired, it was his, when he realizes that there's nothing that he can do to get out of the situation he's in, now all of a sudden, he wants to become a soul winner for God. Let that sink in for a second. A man suffering in hell has become a want-to-be soul winner for God. I want to ask you a question that I think is worthy of some thought. A couple of questions I'm going to ask you through the remainder of our time. But the first is this. Is it possible, is it possible that people in hell have a greater desire for lost people to be saved than I do? Is it possible that people in hell have a greater desire for people who are lost to be saved than I do? Because after the rich man realized there's nothing he could do for himself, his attention turns to those that he loves the most. And his attitude becomes one of, I do not want them to end up in this situation that I'm in today. I don't want them to have to deal with the pain and the suffering and the agony that I have found myself in. So Abraham, please, if you can't do anything for me, then send Lazarus back from the dead to my family and encourage them to not end up in this same place because this is the direction that they're heading. In the book of Romans, Paul says a couple of things that are really powerful and challenging to me. He says in chapter 9 and in chapter 10, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Brothers, my heart desire... My heart's desire and my prayer to God is for the Israelites that they may be saved. Paul says, if all of my brothers would believe and become children of God, he said, I would give it all up if that's what it took. If it means cutting myself... And and he knew. He knew that that was never going to... Not that Israel wasn't going to believe, but he knew that there was no way that... He could give up his salvation that way. But in his heart, he said, I love these people so much that if what it takes is me giving it all up for them, then that's what I'm going to do. How many people live in Haleville? Roughly? Somebody? 4,000? Okay, so 4,000 people that live in this city. And then you've got the surrounding areas. When you see someone that you know is lost, does your heart hurt for them? 
Does your soul feel an anguish that can't be put out? You know, it's easy. It's so easy for us to walk into this room and to follow what, 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 what we call the acts of worship. To think we get all the checklist things right. And to feel so good about ourselves. I've gone to church. I've worshiped God. Man, look, I went to the fellowship mail today. You know what? You know what? I even put a little extra in the communion, in the communion, in the offering plate today. Look at everything I've done. But have you really made an effort to go out and save lost people? Jesus in His final words said, hey, that's our purpose. That's our goal. That's our mission. It's to go out, find people who are lost, and make every effort to bring them closer to Christ so that they can become a saved Christian. That is our job. But we've created a culture, a church culture, that we feel that our job is to go to church. Nowhere in Scripture are we ever told that that is our job, that that is our purpose. Now, we're encouraged to be here. This is an important part of our walk, but this is not the beginning and the end of it. Our job is to save those who are lost. And my question is, do you have a desire to save lost people? Or does your desire stop at going to church? Let me ask you another question. 30 seconds. How long is 30 seconds? Depends on what you're doing, right? Someone says, hey, Matthew, lay on the ground and, and do a leg lift for 30 seconds. I'm like, whew, that's a long time. Someone says, hey, I don't know. I don't know where the rest of the illustration was going. It's okay. You get the point. 30 seconds. Let's pretend for just a moment that I can give you 30 seconds in heaven or in hell? You get 30 seconds. And the purpose of that 30 seconds is to make you a better soul winner for Jesus. Okay? So you can either have 30 seconds in, in the home of God where all the saints are gathered. You can have 30 seconds in, in, in the majestic presence of our Lord and Savior. Or I can give you 30 seconds in hell, in torment, and in anguish, and in agony. And the purpose of that 30 seconds is to motivate you to be a better soul winner for Jesus. Where are you going to spend your 30 seconds? Let me ask you, just to show of hands, if you want to, how many of you would spend it in heaven? Okay, how many of you would spend it in hell? Alright, well there's me and Nathan. See in here, all right, boy. We got a, a good group of. Okay. If it's up to me, if it's up to me, I'm sending you to hell. Because I believe from this passage we get the the, the intense image that if we were to experience this, our hearts for the lost would drastically change. It would drastically change. You know, we have a lot of conversation. We talk about a lot of things. What does it take to grow? What does it take to, 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 uh, I mean, look, we got a, we got a lot of empty pews in this room this morning, don't we? I mean, we, we've got some just plumb empty pews here and over here. And I know the people in the back aren't ever going to come forward 
and sit in them. So, and that's okay. That's okay. I'm not saying anything bad about that. I'm saying these are spots for new people, right? What does it take for us to grow? That's a question that we've been talking about and thinking about off and on for the last couple of months. It starts with a change of heart in each one of us to have a desire and a passion to save lost people. If we don't have that desire as a church, we will never grow. Never. You agree with that? If not then maybe we've got some more growing to do. I'll end with this story. I worked at Walmart when I was in college for a little while. Have you ever been in a store when they've called a code Adam where a kid's lost? You know, as if, if you work in retail and different uh, stores and different things, you're, you're trained in, in what to do when they call a code Adam. I had a really hard job if they called a code Adam for a kid that was lost. My job was to stand in front of the door at the produce department and not let anybody in or out that door. That was my job. Um, a lot of other people had a different other job. But I had a really cool view from where I was standing that day. This child was lost. They called over Code Adam. They, they described him. And so I went to this door, and I'm standing there, and I'm watching as Walmart employees start looking for this child. And five or six minutes goes by, and, and what I could see is... Over the course of that five or six minutes, it went from just the Walmart employees looking for this child to everybody in the store looking for this child. Because he was what? Lost. One lost child. And everybody in the store made it their mission to find this lost child. And the preacher in me got to thinking, wouldn't it be so awesome if as a church... We had that same intensity. That if we find one person that's lost in our circle of friends, in our circle of family, in our work, at our school, that we drop everything and make it our mission to introduce them to Christ. If we're going to grow, if we're going to make a difference in this city, in this community, in this county, then we have to have a heart for saving the lost. And if you don't have that, if that's something that you, were, you, you struggle with and you don't have that, 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 that passion for lost people and that desire to see them to come to Christ, then we need to spend time in prayer and we need to grow until we become that type of individual and type of church. Let's go to God in prayer as we close our time together. God, we thank You for this morning. Again, we thank You for the period of worship that gives us an opportunity to be filled. God, yes, worship is about You. But when we come to You with open and sincere hearts, we can't help but be encouraged and filled ourselves. And we thank You so much for that time this morning. But God, it is my prayer today. It is my hope. It is my desire. As is, it is Yours that we become a church that cares for the lost. That we don't see them as people to help. We see them as souls to save. That we get, we, we get past the way someone looks and we worry about their heart and what they can become in you this morning, God. 
Help us to be that type of disciple. Help us to be that type of church. God, help me to be that type of preacher in my day-to-day walk. Convict us, God. Convict us to be what you want us to be. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. There is a God. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m., and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to listen again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.